Dan John's going to be bringing us the message this morning. Uh, it's not very often we have a guest speaker, but we do this morning, and we just want to pray for him as he brings his message. Father, we just ask your blessing on our brother, that you would open his heart, open his mouth, that he would be able to share with us what you've laid upon his heart. We just ask, Lord, that we would be able to hear, listen, and grasp what he is saying to us. And thank you again for his willingness to share with us. In Jesus' name, amen. So rumor says I shouldn't threaten anybody on the back seat to move forward, Daniel. <laughs> heard that last night. <laughs> so, uh, good morning. So, I was thinking yesterday today it's been I think a little over 40-ish years since we started coming here some of you remember when I was about 12-ish 11-ish maybe ish and some of you I remember being born and you know the glee of ups you know coming on up and now you're you're grown and following the Lord and it's it's pretty beautiful um yeah so I gave my heart to the Lord when I was 12 I was baptized right here when I was 14 um went to college. I'm going to talk a little bit about my journey, our journey, and then our journey and the potential of those journeys. In college, my very last year, I went on a missions trip. Some of you remember that. My life was changed forever. Um, and that was in January. In October, I was in Haiti for six months. Stayed there six years. Met my future wife there. Um, left Haiti, moved to Indiana, we were married, five children later, now we're back in Haiti. So that sums up about 40 years of, of life in about 45 seconds. Um, but the journey, I just titled this, The Journey of His Presence. Uh, many years ago, um, I, I prayed one of the most important prayers in my life, and I think um, every once in a while I remember this and pray it again. Um, it's not a constant in my forefront, but I, I remember saying, Lord, I want more of you. Um, there's, a, there's an insidious theology out there that says, oh, we get all of the Holy Spirit in us at one time when we're saved. No, it's not an offense to God. It's a, uh, I can't hold all of the Holy Spirit. So I have to constantly, it, it says what, 2 Corinthians 5, we're clay vessels, we're jars of clay. And this jar leaks, um, as someone said many years ago to me. And it's like, you know, it's not a, an affront to God by saying, Lord, I don't believe that not all of you dwells in me. It's just human nature that, God, I need you. God, I need you. God, I need you. Um, throughout Scripture, it, it talks about saying, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. It's a constant life thing. That would be the equivalent of, of farmers in here. You plant a plant, you pour some water in it, and say, good luck, bear fruit. But no, you water it, and you tend it, and you nurture it every day. And that's what the Holy Spirit's supposed to be in our life. So... You can turn to Exodus 33. So Tucker, I appreciate the uh, Joshua on the Walls of Jericho song this morning because we're going to talk a little bit about Joshua today and uh, some perspectives on the presence of the Lord. Joshua 33, verse 7. We'll read 7 through 11 first. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. 
Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. I realized I wanted to give a little synopsis of what's going on in Haiti right now, so I'm going to back up a little bit, because some of you have asked. So um, we have been theoretically in Haiti since February of this year. Um, So Haiti's in bad shape right now. If you talk to anybody, even Haitians, they will acknowledge only God can fix Haiti right now, Um, which, which is pretty typical anyway. We just don't realize it until things get really bad. No outsider can really tell you what's going on. I can't tell you what's going on. If you want to read some good uh, summaries and viewpoints, you could read some articles in the Miami Herald uh, or Reuters, the, the news agency Reuters. They, they tend to have some good summaries. Um, but if you, if you mash politics and gang violence, which is going into terrorist violence, mixed with some voodoo, um, it's some horrible stuff going on in Haiti right now. The Haitians are, most of this is in the capital region, not in the provinces. They have their issues from time to time, which is normal protests and political issues. Um, most of it's in the capital issues. Depending who you ask, there's between 50 and 200 gangs operating. Some gangs are more benevolent than others, or more mafia style, like pay your tax, we'll take care of you. They don't kidnap, they're not brutal. Other gangs are horrendous. Like I cannot publicly talk about, read the news articles. Um, that's partly why there's a million dollar bounty by the United States state government on three gang leaders um, because they have been implicated in kidnappings of American citizens um, and no one's turned them in because it's a fear factor. You, you mix in the spiritual and the physical of, of, of the, the power of the voodoo and the power of the bloodshed and the, the gangs and the violence and, and the gangs out, outnumbered the police, they outgunned the police, they take over police station, they kill police. Um, it, it's literally terrorist activity, and in the midst of it all, the church is really struggling and pressing and praying and saying, Lord, help us, help us, help us. Um, pastors have been kidnapped. Normal people on the street have been kidnapped. Uh, white people have been kidnapped. Um, and it was pretty well certain sections of the city, and now it's just starting to creep out into areas that we may drive in or we may live in, things like that. Um, the end of September, as you may know, um, we're with Mission Aviation Fellowship, by the way, I didn't say that. Um, MAF evacuated us as families and said, basically, we will take out spouses and children because of the security situation is so um, daunting right now. Part of the issue was the fuel supply had been cut off, basic services were lacking, grocery stores were starting to limit their services, hospitals, water sanitation, living life wasn't just hard, it was getting to be dangerous. Um, so Stephanie and the kids have been in Indiana last two and a half months. The, the guys, excuse me, the guys, the pilots, mechanics, and myself have been rotating in and out, taking turns just to, because we're still busy down there. MEF is still flying six days a week. There's, there's still a lifeline for many ministries. Some ministries have said if MEF leaves, we have to leave. Um, it's not a tooting our own horn. It's just like we rely on you guys. 
And so many people were actually flying so many um, non-ministry related people too because people can't drive out of the capital safely. The roads are literally cut off in all directions. So they fly out to the south of the north and then drive to where they need to go because out in those areas it's safer to drive and, and travel. So yeah, six days a week we are flying, busy as all get out. Um, so we each take turns. Um, so there's several families in the program um, and so the, the husbands go back and forth every several weeks and whatnot. Just a week and a half ago maybe, um, the broader discussion of the global MAF, the headquarters had a, they have meetings every once in a while to discuss the situation. Things have improved with the fuel and the services, but now the kidnappings are continuing to increase. So they said, let's hold off, continue to rotate in and out for another three months. That's hard. Um, it's just reality of being away from your family back and forth. You know, you sort of, um, on my side, I sort of live a dual life. And on Steph's side, Steph and the kids are without dad and husband for weeks at a time and whatnot. And so it's a, how do we live in this tension, in this journey of his presence in the midst of uh, stuff going on? Most of the time, um, when I'm in Haiti, we actually live at the hangar at the airport. Our hangar we've set up with air conditioning and cots and um, sort of camping. Uh, we live there through the week, and then on the weekends, we try to travel safely to our homes, just rest, take a mental break, maybe get some grocery shopping in if the streets are safe, and then go back down for the middle of the week and things like that. So that's how that sort of transpires. And during, then during the week, Monday to Saturday, just work and stuff like that. Some people ask me, what do you do? And I, I've come to say, I just do stuff. Because um, the pilots need to fly, and the mechanics need to work on planes, and the rest of the stuff that's been sitting around for years to do, um, I try to take off their shoulders and say, okay, let me, let me do this, let me do this. Even if I don't know how to do this, you know, YouTube is an is amazing uh, resource. Or how do you hire uh, different Haitians to help you, you know, install an air conditioner, run wiring, or do whatever, um, clean things, sort through stuff to make life a little bit easier. Um, so we're praying. I mean, our home is in Haiti. Um, so we're sort of in transition constantly back and forth. Now we're here, now we're there. And um, so for the next three months, it's sort of up in the air. So yes, we are. I'm praying for a miracle. Only God, only God can heal, and it's coming to the forefront of hopefully people's lives that that, that has to be the place. Um, yeah, so please keep praying for us. Please keep praying for Haiti. Our team, um, it, it's, it's, it can be pretty stressful for all the families involved in this. And, and MAF wants to make good, solid decisions for the sake of our families. Also, though, for the sake of the whole um, ministry, because we don't want to do something stupid and put our whole ministry in jeopardy either. We had a um, security meeting in April by a Christian security company. And I appreciated the guy who, who uh, started the company. He said, just so you know, you guys get kidnapped. Please don't say you're martyrs. Because they're not targeting you because they're Christians. It's an economic opportunity that if they can get a million dollars for you, they're going to kidnap you. You might be held captive seven to ten days. The camp missionaries were held captive for two months. Um, you know, somebody will pay the ransom. They'll, they'll have more money. But it's not because you're a Christian. So don't go out and broadcast to your supporters that, oh, I'm suffering for Jesus. And it has nothing to do with that. And he was very blunt about it. And, and he was totally accurate. And I appreciated that. Because um, sometimes Christians t tend to get a little bit dramatic. Um, and so... I appreciate that. So, yeah, we would appreciate your prayers for our safety, um, spirit, soul, and body health. 
uh, ministry health, and, and all that good stuff. So anyway, I think that was a good little summary there. Um, so this, this section I read in uh, Exodus 33, I don't want to necessarily focus on Moses here, but the last verse in verse 11 when Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. That is an absolutely incredible verse. This tent was not the tabernacle. It was set up outside there. If you want to go seek God, go out there and seek God. I don't know if anybody else did. They all saw Moses go. They watched him. They stood up and were like, whoa, the cloud's coming down. They worshiped, and Joshua didn't leave. That is absolutely incredible, because I wonder what I would have done. But he didn't leave, and you can see the fruit of that in his life. I mean, the walls came tumbling down because Joshua stayed in the tent. I mean, the, the Jordan stopped flowing because Joshua stayed in the tent. Um, Joshua 24, 15, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord because it started when he was a young man and Joshua stayed in the tent. And so I know it's my prayer, even back when I prayed that prayer, Lord, I want more of you. Lord, I want to stay in the tent. Um, it may not just be a simple physical manifestation, but Lord, I want to stay in the tent. Or you could also say, Lord, I want you to stay in this tent, this tabernacle. So Jonah, how many know the story of Jonah? Okay, thanks. Yeah, raise your hands, guys. Um, Tucker, you know the story of Jonah? Where are you at, buddy? Okay, good man. Um, so Jonah, Jonah 1, it says twice, you know, he got the call to go to, go to Nineveh, and he went, started going to Tarshish, Tarshish, I always have a hard time with that, to flee from the presence of the Lord. So it's the absolute opposite of Joshua. And then later on in chapter 1, you know, um, the guys cast lots and said, pray to your gods, and it fell on jo or, uh, Jonah. And he said, hey, this is what I'm doing. And he told them, I'm fleeing from the presence of the Lord. So Joshua's going this way toward the tent. Jonah's going away from the presence of the Lord. Now the Lord obviously got his attention and brought him back. But talking about two different sides of the story, and I'm like, wow. But how many times do we flee from the presence of the Lord? So many times, I had heard this sermon one time, and every once in a while I remember it, but so many times we, we think about something. Oh, I've got to go through this, or maybe it's a job interview, or a family situation, or traveling, or going overseas, or God's calling you to do something. You're so afraid, you're so gripped by fear, or anxiety, or what ifs, and when you actually get to the end of that part of the journey, you go, is this what I was afraid of? You know, and, and so many times I, I get so wired up and, oh, I got to do this and whatever. You know, I've had to fire people. Um, I've had to do hard things. I've had my ears chewed off and put back on by bosses who weren't very kind to me. But at the end of the day, I can go, was this what I was afraid of? Because in the end of it, the Lord's presence is still there. But so many times when God calls us to certain hard things, and Haiti for us, you know, you know, it sounds hard. But part of it is on our journey, we've just said, you know, we're just walking with Jesus. We're just walking in the presence. And people go, when we first came back to Indiana, somebody in our church there, we go to Maple City Chapel in Goshen, said, oh, I'm sorry. I am said, oh, I'm not. And it's not a, oh, I'm not, I'm this righteous whatever it's just like we're just walking with jesus yeah we don't understand but i'm not in charge of my journey in the presence i'm not in charge of this path if i say i'm walking with jesus if he goes this way follow jesus 
He goes this way, follow Jesus. Fortunately, Jonah, he was supposed to go this way, and he went that way. Um, but do you think maybe he was so afraid and anxious and like, oh my goodness, I'm not going to go preach to them, when in the end he could have just said, is this what I was afraid of? Because when he actually did it, look what happened. Now, he had his own attitude issues. I'm not, that's not part of the sermon. Because um, I don't think he was like, well, he did actually say that. He's like, Lord, I knew that you were going to forgive him, so I wasn't going to, you know. I don't think that's why he fled, though. Um, I think it was, a, oh my goodness, what's going to happen? And in the end, is this what I was afraid of? Well, so many times when the Lord says, walk in my presence, and hard things happen, and you're still walking in his presence, you get, we get so wired up, and he's just like, rest in my presence. So we're going to um, read about that a little bit. Hebrews 4. We'll come back to uh, Exodus 33. Hebrews 4. And I know, um, Dave, I think you alluded to this just a little bit in Sunday school. Hebrews 4, verses 9 through 16. So talking about the presence, um, so many times we think about the presence of the Lord being this, and it is, uh, all-inspiring, overwhelming, blow your socks and, you know, stick your finger in a, in a light socket experience. And it can be, but I want to talk about the rest part of it. Verse 9, uh, Hebrews 4, verse 9. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So the presence of the Lord on his throne is our place of rest. And as we walk in his presence, it doesn't matter where their presence goes. It doesn't matter if I'm in Haiti. Now, now this is, I'm going to say this is theoretical and realistic, but I have to choose it too. Um, it doesn't matter if I'm here at, at Law's Church here in Delaware, if I'm in Haiti or Indiana, if I'm walking in his presence, I can walk in his rest. And I don't have to go, oh, is this what I was afraid of? I can just go, okay, Lord. <laughs> you know, when I drive down the street to my house in Haiti, you know, and we scan the, we, we look around. Okay, what looks suspicious? Is anybody doing anything? Um, avoid crowds, anybody carrying a gun? Um, things like that. Okay, we're home, safe. And we constantly are like, okay, this is where I am on WhatsApp. We, we track each other. If I'm with God in his presence, I can rest. Um, now, I don't know the balance. I don't know the balance between resting in his presence and trying to relax in his presence <laughs> and, and uh, allowing that rest to permeate my body. Because sometimes you can rest in your spirit and it has to sort of soak into your soul and your emotions and your mind and into your body and go, okay, Lord. Because um, we are human. We, have to, we, we deal in these vessels of clay. 
Um, but he says that his spirit resides there, his presence. But where his presence is, there is that Sabbath rest, as it talks about in verse, verse 9. And I love verse 11. This is sort of an oxymoron or, or very two-sided. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. It's like, wait. Basically, you still have to sort of work to be peaceful and restful. Um, and I had never noticed before. We sort of quote the Word of God as living and active sort of out of context. We just say, because we talk about the Word of God being living and active, cutting to the division of soul and spirit, doing some marrow and all that, and um, being exposing us and, and um, doing stuff inside of us, but I never put it into the context of he's talking about rest. And I still haven't figured that out as I've read this a few times. But as we rest in his presence, rest in his word, let his word speak. Let his word do that heart surgery or mind surgery or emotion surgery of is this what I was afraid of or am I anxious or am I sad am I in, or whatnot and he will bring you more rest and more rest and more rest because the blood of Jesus the, the only way to get into the presence of Jesus or the presence of God is by the blood of Jesus and he our great high priest, by his blood, opened the door, tore the veil, and we can just say, by the blood of Jesus, here I am in his presence, and we have access to the rest. Now, it takes practice. You know, not every day, walk, driving down the road, do I go, oh, Lord, I'm in your rest. Praise the Lord. You know, sometimes it's like he goes, that whisper, rest, rest. You know, as you're working at the airport in Haiti, or as you're driving back and forth in the, in the, or riding in the airplane back and forth, back and forth, and your butt starts to hurt. You know, it's like, just rest, just rest. Or as, as the family is here in the United States, just rest. Or as you're at your job, or if you've sold your home, or you're, you're, someone in your family has died, or your grandkids are growing up, or, you know, people are making the wrong decisions, or, you know, I've read some of your journeys, whatever, you know, cancer and loss and whatever, there's such an opportunity to rest in his presence. It's a promise. So let's flip back to Exodus 33 again. One key um, anchor, too, that goes with the rest, Matthew 22, 37 to 40. Greatest commandment, second like it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love the, your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love people, and on these two things, it says everything depends, everything hangs. It's like, it's like the cross. Love God, love people. Love God, love people, and on everything that hangs. The law, the prophets, how we think, basically, in the presence of God, love God, love people, just let it all hang on his presence. So back to Exodus 33, the rest of the story. Verse 12, Moses said to the Lord, See you say to me, bring up this people. Talking about going up to the promised land. But if you have not let me know whom you will send with me, yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. And he, God said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people, 
Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? So it says somewhere, we're a royal priesthood. We're distinct. We're called by his name. That's because of the presence. The presence of his rest. I was um, just reading the end of Ezekiel. It's talking about end times and the city being rebuilt. And I don't know if it's exactly at the end of Ezekiel, but it says the city will be called the Lord is there. And so when people look at me, I don't want them to see me. I don't want them to see Daniel. I want them to see the Lord is there. Because that's what it's about. My life is to point to Jesus Christ and say, if you see the presence in my life, yearn for the presence. Because that's what we're here on earth for is to practice our lives in the presence of God and the rest of God. Because that's what the world wants. That's what Haiti wants. That's what you know this area wants, whether in Milford or Greenwood or whatever. I mean, the world's going to hell. And the world needs rest and wants rest. And he's, he's called us. We're the ambassadors. We're the jars of clay that hold his presence because he's given us the job of carrying that rest, carrying that presence, carrying that power to the world, to the neighbor, to the family member. So if your presence does not go with us, we don't want to go up from here. So, like I said, I don't think about it every day, the prayers that I prayed or whatnot. But every once in a while, the Lord reminds me, just keep walking with Jesus. Just keep walking with Jesus. There's a beautiful worship song out there. I forget if it's Brandon Lake or Maverick City or whatever, but it's just, I'm just walking with Jesus. I'm just walking with Jesus. And that's what it's all about. When you walk with Jesus, one, don't ever, please don't ever say, God, you can't do that. Because, not to say, I'm not talking about permission. I'm not saying, God, you're not able to do that. Because if we start putting God in that little box, then we, then we start going, okay, Lord, I'm not going to rest. But in the rest, we can go, okay, Lord, I am afraid of you. I'm afraid what you're going to do. <laughs> I'm afraid what you're going to call me to. I'm afraid maybe even that you won't take care of me. I, I love the Psalms and I love David because David does question God. He does say, Lord, what's going on? And God answered him and it's okay. But God says, just rest. Just rest in my presence. So my encouragement on your personal journey, on my personal journey, on my family's personal journey, is just go, okay, Lord, if I don't want to go somewhere if your presence doesn't go with us. But also, if your presence is going somewhere, I want to go with you. Because there's two things. I mean, Joshua, Joshua stayed in the presence of the Lord, and he did amazing things. Samuel, the same way, when he heard the voice of the Lord, he was sleeping next to the ark. And he didn't even know it, that the presence was there. Look at his life. Jonah said, nope, I'm not going to. I'm fleeing from the presence of the Lord. So it's a choice. It's a choice saying, okay, Lord, I will actively engage your presence, but I will also actively follow your presence. Anybody want to say anything? Okay, I think that's all.